Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, again, we are honored to have you with us today. If you are here every week, you're right where you're supposed to be. I hope you've had a great uh, week this past week. I hope that you have had some opportunities to share your Jesus story this past week. I guess what I should say is I hope you've taken advantage of the opportunities that you've had to share your Jesus story this past week. Because I guarantee if we're paying attention, there's going to be open doors where we're able to talk to people about Jesus. And I know that that's happening because so many of you have shared with me your storytelling experiences of this past week and the week before. You've been talking to people about Jesus, you've been praying for your server, you've been taking advantage of ways to kind of brag on Jesus just in your day-to-day -day conversation. And that's certainly what we want to be about. Now, I mentioned last week that next week we are beginning a study through the book of Acts. Jesus' invitation while he was here on earth was simply, follow me. And in the book of Acts, we see where some group of people kind of took him up on that invitation and began to follow Jesus and sharing the good news of the gospel with everyone that they came in contact with. And again, that's what we're trying to be about here at Bay Area. And I'm excited about that series beginning next week. And to get us ready for that series next week, this morning I want to talk about some of the events leading up to the crucifixion. And there's a reason why I want to talk about the events leading to the crucifixion before we get to the book of Acts. What we're going to talk about today is so pivotal, obviously, to the formation and the growth of the church, but also pivotal to those, those early Christians, as well as us, what it meant to those people involved, what it means to us. I want to talk about that this morning. But first, maybe you've heard this, a Miami Hurricane fan, a Florida Gator fan, a Florida State fan, were all climbing a mountain one day. And they were all, as they were climbing, they were arguing about who the best fan was, who was most passionate about their team. And as they got towards the top of the mountain, the Miami fan said, you know what, I'm the greatest fan in the world. There's no one more passionate than me about their team. I'll prove it to you. And he shouted, this is for the Canes! And he jumped off the mountain. The Florida Gator fan, he didn't want to be outdone. So he said, no, I'm the greatest fan. I have the most passion for my team, and I'll prove it to you. This is for the Gators. And he pushed the Florida State fan off the side of the mountain. <laughs> know your audience, okay? Sorry, IT. You know, most people, we don't like to think about our own death very much. Now, we don't have a problem with death, and we realize it's a part of life. We don't have a problem thinking about other people's deaths. But for the most part, we don't like to think too much about our own death. You know, when we're young, we're pretty bulletproof. But as I've gotten older, I realize just how quickly time goes by. This morning, when we think about the events leading up to the crucifixion, I want to do that through the lens of someone that I think thought quite a bit about his death. A, a guy that I think thought quite a bit about how and when he was going to die. Maybe more accurately, how and when he was going to be killed. This morning, I want to talk to you about a man named Barabbas. And if you are a student of the Bible, and most of you are, 
you probably already know everything there is to know about this guy Barabbas. At least you know everything that Scripture has to say about him. And I say that with confidence because Scripture doesn't have very much to say about Barabbas. We just don't know very much about him. He's, he's rather a minor player in the crucifixion story. As far as we know, he actually never met Jesus. Their actual paths never cross, but their stories do intersect uh, for a brief moment. And again, we can sum up just about everything that the Bible says about this man Barabbas in one sentence. Maybe two if we wanted to stretch it out. But I want to take a look right where Ron was this morning in Matthew's account leading up to the crucifixion. I'm going to back up from what Ron shared with us. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. Here's what the text says. I'm going to begin in verse 11. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. But... When the leading priests and other leaders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear there many charges against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus said nothing, much to the governor's great surprise. The religious leaders are accusing Jesus, and Jesus, given an opportunity to defend himself, doesn't take it. He doesn't say a thing. Now, it was the governor's custom to release one prisoner to the crowd each year during the Passover celebration, anyone they wanted. In an effort to appease the Jews during their festival time, Pilate, the governor, agreed to release one prisoner. Any, any prisoner. Except this particular year, Pilate has an idea. And he has sort of hand-picked who he's going to offer to release either this man or Jesus. He's trying to sort of stack cards in Jesus' favor, trying to make the, the choice obvious. This year there was a notorious criminal in prison, a man named Barabbas. Here we are introduced to Barabbas. Matthew calls him a notorious criminal. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, the notorious criminal? Or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And then Matthew adds parenthetically, he knew very well the Jewish leaders that arrested Jesus out of envy. So Pilate understood this whole thing is just personal with the Jews. Uh, for some reason, this rabbi, Jesus, has offended them, and they're reacting in, in jealousy or, or envy or something. So he says, listen, I can, I can release to you Barabbas, this notorious criminal, or I can release to you this rabbi, Jesus. But then the plot sort of thickens, at least it does for Pilate. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone, because I had a terrible nightmare about him last night. And then verse 20. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while, while Pilate's wrestling with this, this strange message from his wife about a dream that she's had, Meanwhile, the leading priests and other leaders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So obviously there were some movers and shakers in the crowd when it comes to the religious leaders. And they are working the crowd and they are telling everyone when, when Pilate asks, we want to demand Barabbas released. We want to demand Jesus to be executed. 21. 
So when the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back their reply, Barabbas! Notice they shout the name Barabbas. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them, what should I do with Jesus who's called the Messiah? And they all shouted. Here they are shouting again, crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? But the crowd only roared the louder. Crucify him. And notice the crowd has gone from demanding to shouting to roaring. Pilate senses that he's about to lose control of this thing. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and turned him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. Now most of you know exactly what's going on here. The Jews very much want Jesus killed, but they don't have the authority to, to um, sentence him to death. Only Rome can do that. And Pilate doesn't really care to get involved with the politics of their religion. He just wants to keep the peace. He just wants everyone to, to kind of do what they're told to do. But he's no dummy, Pilate. He's a politician. So he doesn't know exactly what to do with Jesus, but as the governor, he's sort of forced to do something with Jesus. And yeah, he could have done the right thing. He could have freed Jesus. But again, he's not going to do that to his own expense. He's not going to go against what the people want. And then he has this strange message from his wife. I mean, he's in the middle of this kind of inquiry, and he gets this message from his wife. And the message is, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. His wife, in some kind of a dream, claims that Jesus is innocent. In fact, Pilate deems Jesus to be innocent as well. Certainly not guilty of anything worthy of death. So he has a plan. Again, he's a politician. He knows he should and probably could do the right thing, but he's not going to do that at his own expense. So he remembers a prisoner by the name of Barabbas, a notorious criminal, we're told. In fact, let me tell you what the other gospel writers have to say about Barabbas. Uh, Matthew says he's a notorious sinner. Uh, actually, the version I read said criminal. You might have a version that says a notorious criminal. Uh, Mark describes Barabbas as a murderer. Luke describes Barabbas as an insurrectionist and a murderer. John calls him a thief that had taken part in a rebellion. To this guy Barabbas, he's a bad guy. He is a problem. He was a notorious sinner, a murderer, an insurrectionist, a thief, taking part in a rebellion. He is certainly a threat to Rome. Barabbas was this notorious sinner, and everybody knew it. The crowd knew it. Pilate knew it. You want to know who else knew about Barabbas? Barabbas. He knew who he was. He knew what he'd done. He knew he was all those things. He was guilty as charged. So he is in prison awaiting execution. 
awaiting to pay for the crimes that he's committed. Now, I want you to consider something with me this morning. Historians claim that the prison where Barabbas was being held would have been about 2,000 feet from where Jesus was having this trial uh, with Pilate. About 2,000 feet difference. It very well might have been possible that Barabbas could have heard the commotion that was going on 2,000 feet away as he sat in his cell. Imagine, put yourself there in that cell with Barabbas. He knows what kind of man he is. He knows what he's guilty of. He's waiting for execution. And he hears a commotion. And he hears a crowd. And it's not a happy crowd. Now You can tell the difference between the noise of a crowd that's celebrating and a crowd that's angry. This was an angry crowd. Barabbas could tell. I mean, Barabbas knew a, a, a mob when he heard one. And this was a mob. So Barabbas is sitting in his cell. He hears this commotion. He hears this mob. And then all at once, he hears his name being shouted. Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! What? And he can't hear anything else that's going on. He just hears this crowd as one yelling, Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! What is going on? Why are they shouting my name? He has no idea what's taken place in Jerusalem the last 12 hours. He's been sitting in a cell. So here's this crowd shouting, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then he hears the crowd quiet down a little bit and someone else is speaking. He can't tell what they're saying. It's too far away for that. And there's some murmuring. And then the next thing he hears is, crucify him, crucify him. Put yourself in Barabbas' cell. There's an angry mob out there. They're shouting my name. They quieted down a little bit. Now they're shouting, crucify him. And Barabbas knows. It's time. I don't know what's gotten everyone so stirred up, but they're coming, and they're coming for me. This is it. And sure enough, some soldiers walk up to Barabbas' cell, and he knows. And they take out a set of keys, and he knows. They've got their sword on their side. They unlock the cell door. Barabbas, get up. Barabbas gets up. He knows what's coming. He knows he's guilty. He knows he's being led out to be crucified. And the guards say, you're free to go. Wait, what? You're free to go. What do you mean I'm free to go? I just heard an angry crowd shouting my name. I just heard an angry crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. You know, the soldiers are like, no, you're free to go. Somebody else is going to die today instead of you. How is that possible? Somebody else is going to die today instead of you. So Barabbas, this notorious sinner, this murderer, this thief, walks out of his cell, walks out of the prison, to freedom, to life, he walks out of his cell just about the time Jesus is being beaten. Look back again at, at verse 26. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. And that's all we know about Barabbas. 
That's all Scripture has to say about Barabbas. Now listen, be sure you, be sure you hear me when I say this. I don't know if Barabbas could hear those shouts or not. You know, again, the proximity would, would suggest that it, it was possible. That was pure conjecture on my part. I don't know if he could hear that or not. But I told the story in that way to remind us it's not just a story. It's history. It actually happened. There was a man named Barabbas who was a notorious sinner. And he really was sentenced to die. And there really was a guy named Pilate who was struggling with trying to keep control of a mob. And there really was a mob who was shouting for the death of Jesus. And some soldiers really did open up the cell and tell Barabbas he was free to go about the same time some other soldiers were beating Jesus. Against all logic, against all sense of justice, Barabbas is set free. There's a guy who's offered life because Jesus chose death. Now, you know, I hope my point is pretty obvious, but I don't want you to miss it. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. <laughs> We're all Barabbas. Every one of us. We are guilty as charged. Our sins have separated us from God. We're deserving of death. I'm deserving of death. But someone else died instead of me. We're familiar with Romans 3.23. Paul says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Three chapters later, Paul would say, The wages of sin is death. And then Paul writes to Timothy and says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And then the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, If we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrongdoing. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. The Apostle Paul says we've all sinned. He says the wages of sin is death. He tells Timothy, I'm the worst of all. John, who arguably was closer to Jesus than anyone else, says if you think you're not a sinner, you're making God out to be a liar. You're just fooling yourself if you think you don't sin. You know, people tell me sometimes, Tim, you need to preach a little harder on sin. Okay, Bay Area, I'm preaching on sin. You are all sinners. You are notorious sinners. You know the elders that direct the affairs of this congregation? Notorious sinners. The deacons that serve in this congregation, they are notorious sinners. You know who's teaching your kids back here in the back hallway? Notorious sinners. Your preacher, your youth minister, your children's minister, notorious sinners. Just like you. We are all Barabbas. We all deserve what's coming to us. We all deserve death because of our sins, to be executed. But someone said, you're free. You're free. Someone else has paid the price. I've got Romans 3.23 there uh, on the top of that screen. seems like we always stop at verse 23, and I don't know why, because that's the bad news. The rest of Romans 3 is, is the good news. 
All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet, now God in His gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He's done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We're made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed His blood, sacrificing His life for us. It's the Gospel, isn't it? Jesus died for us. That's the story we're trying to tell, right? God was being entirely fair and just when He did not punish those who sinned in former times. And He is entirely fair and just in this present time when He declares sinners to be right in His sight because they believe in Jesus. In His gracious kindness, God has declared us not guilty. Us, notorious sinners, not guilty. Us, notorious sinners, set free. Us, notorious sinners, right in His sight because of Jesus. Just like Barabbas. Say, how is that possible? No, Barabbas had to be thinking, how is that possible? If we're honest with ourselves, how is that possible? It's grace. It's possible because of grace. It's possible because of love. As we head into the book of Acts, we're going to see a couple things about those followers of Jesus. Some ways that they, they shared the gospel with people. Some reasons the gospel uh, was, was shared and accepted and the, the kingdom grew. And one of those reasons is those people were completely convicted of their lostness apart from Jesus. They understood exactly who they were. They understood what their sin had done in their lives. And they also recognized the fact that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross changed everything. It just changed everything. And again, that's the story they told. Their life before Jesus. The wonderful commitment and the wonderful sacrifice that Jesus made. And then what their life's been like since. Isn't that what we've been trying to share? Here in 2019? I think that's why they were so effective in sharing the gospel. You know, it's occurred to me in our seven weeks of Every Believer Witness, I never told my story. So let me give you the Reader's Digest version of my story. I didn't grow up with a, with a fear of hell. I fear hell. And I still do fear hell, but I didn't grow up being motivated by a fear of hell. And maybe that's because I was raised in a house that uh, you know, wasn't an atmosphere of fear. I was raised in, a, in a, an atmosphere of love. And I was and have always been very motivated by love. And at about 13 years old, I began to better understand what Jesus accomplished at the cross. And I began to understand that even as a young guy, I was a sinner. And that my sins separated me from God. And the more I became to understand and appreciate what Jesus did at the cross, the more I fell in love with Him. And the more I fell in love with Jesus, obedience to Him just seemed like the natural thing to do. I didn't see a moral code. I didn't see the Ten Commandments. I didn't see the fires of hell. I didn't even see the church. I saw a Savior who loved me so much that He gave His life for me. 
And he was asking me to be obedient. And so I confessed Jesus as the Lord of my life. I said, I want Jesus to be it. I repented of my sins. And one Sunday in January, I asked Ray Beggs to baptize me into Jesus. And for the last 46 years, I've never looked back. You know, I struggle mightily with some things. I, I failed so often, but I've never regretted that decision. Because I'm a child of God. And the blood of Jesus continually cleanses me from all wrongdoing. You know, when you really understand what Jesus did on the cross, who I was, what He offered, what the promise is, you don't ask questions. You just follow instructions. I would love to know what happened to Barabbas. We don't know. Scripture never mentions them again. Surely he became a follower of Jesus, right? Surely his life changed. I mean, how could it not? I don't know. But my guess is, and this is just a guess, I doubt it. I doubt his life changed. And I say that because I know an awful lot of people who have been offered the same gift that Barabbas was offered. And they never accepted the gift. They never changed their lives. We are all Barabbas. The cell door has been opened. We have been offered the gift of salvation. Are we going to take advantage of that gift? As, as notorious sinners saved by grace, are we going to show the same kind of love and the same kind of concern for other sinners that might be searching for what we've already found? Oh, I hope so. That's what we're trying to do here at Bay Area, right? That's why we're telling our story. Listen, in just a minute we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song like we always do. And if there's something in your heart that you just want to share with your family here at Bay Area, maybe there's a, a prayer request that you'd like to publicly make and have people praying with you, uh, we're going to give you that opportunity. Maybe there's something else that we can minister to you. But I want to give you another option this morning as well. For the past uh, several months, there are some women here who have transformed a storage room uh, into a very functional prayer room. It's located right over here between the women's restrooms and the uh, Family Life Center. As you walk towards the Family Life Center, there's an outer office there, but then behind that is our prayer room. And immediately following our time in here, uh, there's going to be an elder and his wife in that prayer room. And maybe there's something going on in your life that you'd like some private prayers uh, just to share with someone privately and have someone pray with you privately. It's not a, it's not a confessional. It's not a, uh, you know, it's not a therapy room. It's just another opportunity to connect people who are hurting and who have struggles and needs with a God who knows and a God who cares and a God who can heal. So right after our time here, um, for 10 or 15 minutes or so, there'll be someone in that prayer room if you'd like to take advantage of that. But whatever, whatever your situation might be this morning as a family, if we can help you in any way, realizing who we are, realizing what Jesus has done for us, and the cell door is open. If we can help, let us know in the front of the auditorium here. Let's stand and sing. My 